Welcome to the Deacon's Den, your neighborhood cozy cafe for Catholic conversation dedicated to discussions distinctly diaconate. I'm Deacon Dave, your proprietor and host, and I have a corner booth reserved just for you. So come on in. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Deacon's Den for our second episode. For those of you who are at our grand opening, welcome back. Your favorite corner booth is all ready for you. For all of our new guests, welcome. We hope you enjoy hanging out with us in our virtual neighborhood cafe. At our grand opening, we discuss the history and present reality of the Catholic Deacon. In this episode, we will ask a more personal question, one that many men who listen to this podcast may be asking. Is God calling me to become a deacon? This November, we are hosting six discernment nights throughout the diocese to start men on the path to understanding if they may have a potential call to the diaconate. So the timing of this episode couldn't be better. To explore this topic, I've invited back Deacon Joe Gassman as our celebrity chef to help us prepare today's entree. Deacon Joe is the head of the Secretariat for Leadership and Parish Life for the Diocese of Orlando and previously served as the director of the Permanent Diaconate. Welcome back, Deacon Joe. It's good to be back. Good to have you here. But, you know, Deacon Joe, at the end of our first episode, you seemed a little perplexed that our neighborhood cafe had not served you a proper beverage to consume during your visit. I was expecting. I And you had a right to expect it. So <laughs> I have spared no expense in procuring the very finest vintage to share with you during our conversation today. So Deacon Joe, cheers and welcome back. The finest vintage of water in all central Florida. <laughs> we have a very important topic to discuss today. There are many men out there that are feeling called to serve the Lord, and a number of them are trying to discern if God may be calling them to serve him as mm-hmm. a deacon. And I know that discerning a call to any vocation can be a long and complex process, but would you take just a few minutes and let me know a little bit about your personal call story? What were a few of the key events that led you to believe that God was calling you to be a deacon? You know, I think it started when I was still in the military. I mean, I had that inner feeling that I was being called to something. It created a question within me that I went home and I actually talked to my wife and says, you know, I think something's going on. I don't get it. I've not exactly been the perfect Catholic. And we talked about it. Mm-hmm. But of course, life took over again and military responsibilities and that went to the side. So how did Judy react the first time you brought this up? There was questions. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. there was an interesting conversation of saying, she's saying, well, how the heck are you going to pull that off being in the military? <laughs> but, you know, the reality is we started the conversation and we put it aside. Okay. Because life continued for us as a military mm-hmm. family. That actually happened twice. I even went, you know, sought out Navy chaplains to try to help me work through. And it's like, maybe if I go to a good confession, you know, not been a good boy, <laughs> that maybe I would be enlightened. Mm-hmm. It really was an invitation when we got here to Florida to engage in community that brought it to light. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't explain why I signed up for the one retreat that I signed up for. I'd been away from the church. First day back at church, it's like, hey, let's sign up for a retreat. (laughs) It's like, well, that's a little bit out of a character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when that retreat was done, a trusted friend who was in leadership within the church asked Judy and I to to consider going to the lay ministry, lay ecclesial ministry 
school that they had here at San Pedro Center. Judy was ready to say no real quick because our plates were full. Mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute. I think God's talking here. So let's go home and pray about it and discuss it. And so it was really that invitation that pushed us over the top to said, okay, maybe, maybe there is something to this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was next then? At, at that point, you you started to lay ecclesial school. You're listening to hear where God's guiding you. Still not on the path to being a deacon yet. Not really, because I really didn't understand what a deacon was. I just knew there was another person on on the altar, mm. and and they were helping. <laughs> a very big altar boy, I see. Would, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I didn't understand it. Okay. I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. until we went to our application, and so I shared with the interviewer, you know, these are this is what's been going on in my heart for years, and they said, well, we're just going to stop right here, and we're going to send you through the diaconate program. He says, one, I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. and two. Judy and I are going to go through the lay ministry together. Okay. So it was very important for me, Mm -hmm. and I think for her, that we were together in our faith journey, that we were going to get educated and formed together. Okay. From the time that you first had this inkling that you might have a call, uh, back in the military days up until the time you actually entered formation, how long was that? About five years. About five years. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So that's... It might even have been longer. I, I think the first inkling, I was I was stationed, I was deployed to Rota, Spain. Okay. So it was a mm-hmm. long time ago. Okay. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> yes. Well, every call story is unique and personal, and I really appreciate your sharing the aspects of yours. But what would you say are some of the key characteristics that you would expect to be in place for a man that he could look for in his own life to help him affirm that this really may be a call? You know, when we came to Florida, I came to go to school for human relations training. I got a chance to look deeply within myself to figure out who I really was. As I started putting the pieces together through that 16-week school, I realized that God had had his finger in my life all the time. I remember vividly how my dad was always out there serving everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, it was rarely that he thought about himself. And so I kind of picked that up. When I read some of my old bios, service was at the top of the list of I was created to be a servant. And I had no idea what that meant other than I was a community servant. So all my jobs, whether it's the military, Habitat for Humanity, the Daily Bread Soup Kitchen, and now the diaconate, it's always been a life of servant. I was walking the life and didn't even know it. Mm. I, I like what you said there about when you went into your human relations training and you you had to do that exploration of self-identity and self-awareness. That's not something that is common in society today. I don't think we get reflective enough. I can see how that would be a real aha moment. It was a very aha moment because in the military, I I was trained to be a leader, to tell people what to do and get them to do it with a formal power. Okay. You should, and, yeah, and do it because you're told to do it, not because you're motivated to do it. And there's consequences if you don't. Sure, sure. The reality of where I learned when I finally looked at who I really was, and I became a more compassionate leader, and people would follow me because they knew I would be in the dirt with them. Exactly. And the other thing you discovered, and I think that's important, is that you were already living the life of servant. And yes. that you, you even commented that in your bios that you had written over time, service, that was a theme that consistently came up not only in your self-reflection, but in the roles that you accepted in your life. Right. I think that's a key piece, that a person discerning 
this vocation, this radical vocation, really, when we get into talking about it, of offering self consistently. It's not like, well, this made me feel good. I'm not doing it because it made me feel good. I'm doing it because I know it was right and that was that was in my DNA. Mm-hmm. The other thing that stood out to me in your story was that you came to Florida, you joined this parish community, and immediately you signed up for a retreat. So you were really seeking to understand God's will. You were actively right. developing a prayer life and a sense of relationship and communication with God during this time. I knew there was something missing. I was raised Catholic. You know, for whatever reasons, I've had my ins and outs with the church. Mm-hmm. My family, core family, has had their ins and outs with the church. But in reality, I knew there was something missing. And I knew I had it was in the church that I had to find it. I think that's also a, a nice insight you're sharing. It resonates with me personally, but also a lot of people will reflect on this. Is that old line about uh, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. And you, right. you just admitted that, you know, we've all had struggles in the church. We may have had times even when we drifted away. And it may have surprised you when you got this call because you're not the perfect Catholic. You're not the poster boy for Catholicism necessarily. <laughs> and, and I would agree with that in my own life as well, too. But I think it is important that the call to the diaconate is the call from life. It is called from a life of highs and lows and ups and downs and broken right. places as well, too. And if we can't embrace those broken places then we probably are not embracing an authentic calling. Right. When I think about these characteristics, though, you talk about living a life of service, and, and obviously you were involved in the church and developed and were developing your prayer life. These characteristics could apply to a lot of lay people in the church, both men and women, and all are not necessarily called to be deacons. So what makes the call to the diaconate unique? That was an interesting wrestling and discussion point with Judy and I as we went through the lay ministry program, because we recognized that as we learned what a deacon was, it's like, okay, what can you do that I can't do Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) as a lay person? I mean, I was a good servant. What's the difference? Right. So just because someone call that God calls you to be a servant doesn't mean he calls you to be a deacon. A deacon. I mean, I've been kind of wrestling and discerning and reflecting on the vocation of the laity. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a laity, a that it is laity. a vocation, yeah. mm-hmm. that yeah. we are called as baptized Christians to be something, right. to point to something greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what's unique about the deacon then? Why, why do we have deacons then? If everyone can serve the church... You know, that's great. Let's let's shutter the doors. You know, it's going to put this podcast out of business. But uh, beyond that, what is it that makes the the deacon unique in the church? You know, as I reflect on my life, the readings that I've done, it's really a radical obedience mm-hmm. to do things you would not normally do when a normal person or a normal volunteer or a lay person in their volunteer roles gets fed up. They can walk away. There is no walking away. Deacons are making a public vow that they're going to be. They're in it forever. And and they're going to live their life in such a way that it will be that icon Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. Christ the servant. servant. That we are always going to offer ourselves. Our wives are going to allow us to offer ourselves because there, there is that tension Mm-hmm. With family mm-hmm. responsibility, mm-hmm. A, a, living a dual vocation is not easy. Yeah, I love what you said about uh, the obedience, the radical obedience, because this is an obedience to serve not as I want, but as the church wants. Right. And, you know, I, I often tell men in formation, I said, enjoy this time, because once you're ordained, 
He said, you're the freest now you will be in the church as a lay person. And whether you're priest or deacon, once you're ordained, that obedience is paramount to the church. It always makes me smile when they think, oh, man, I'll be so glad when formation's <laughs> over because I won't have to do this. And it's like, um, yes, you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it'll be done in such a way that you're not going to always agree with your priest yeah. that you serve, that you've been assigned to. You're not always going to agree with certain of the cliques that have formed because we live in a human church. And the permanence is key. We, you know, we call ourselves permanent deacons, right. and there is. It's a permanence. It's not, oh, I've, I've decided I don't want to do this. This doesn't fit into my life anymore. This is a permanent uh, vow that we're making before right. our God. And, and I think the sacramental sign, this icon of Christ the servant that you mentioned, not just important for the church today, important for all of society and the world I that we don't have enough people in this in the service mode. You've worked with a lot of deacons and men in formation for the diaconate. You obviously had my job before I had my job. So uh, you're very, very familiar with uh, the diaconal community. What are some of the key personal qualities that you expect to see in a deacon? There, I sit here and I keep looking at my mug that we cheered to, and it says a man of courage. True statement. And, and as I was reflecting on who am I, you really have to be a man of courage. Mm -hmm. You have to be a man of great humility. You're going to be asked to do things that you're uncomfortable with. You're going to, you're going to be constantly stretched outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I'm a very strong introvert, but I've, I've, I've learned that I've had to be out there. I have to engage the people because you cannot invite people in if you're not hospitable. Right. If you're not a compassionate human being, that understanding my own brokenness, I, I'm, I'm a full subscriber in Henry Nouwen's Wounded mm -hmm. Healer, mm -hmm. that I, I am very wounded. And again, a lot of the times when I preach, I'm preaching for me. I'm not preaching for the, <laughs> the congregation. I'm glad you get something from it. Right. They can but listen I'm in I'm talking about my woundedness <laughs> <laughs> and how I have to reflect yeah. How we're called to reflect something greater than ourselves. Uh, I agree with you on Nowen's Wounded Healer book. If there, is a, if there is a handbook for the spirituality of the diaconate, that should be in it because we only serve from our broken places. Right. And really it points to that I have to move, the deacon has to move to the fringe. Yes. It, it's real mm -hmm. easy to preach to the choir. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everybody's cheering for you. Yeah, way to go. But when you go out to the fringe and you invite them in and they're saying, well, wait a minute, why are you bringing that person in here? Mm -hmm. You've got to have courage to stand with them. I like that phrase. I like that phrase. Man of courage. Can I have one of those mugs? You know, I can't remember who gave this to me, <laughs> but it was from a parishioner that was moved by some of the homilies. That's awesome. Good. And so it's touching. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I get the affirmation, mm -hmm. but there, there's always that challenge. Exactly. So I want you to rotate the lens for a moment. We've been looking at this from the perspective of the man might, uh, who might be considering attending a discernment night, thinking they may have a call to the diaconate. But let's rotate the lens for a moment. I want to ask a question from a different perspective. What advice would you give to a pastor, a priest, a deacon, or any person who's thinking about recommending a man to consider the diaconate? What should they be looking for in the person, or what should they not be looking for? What might be a, a disqualifier? I don't think anybody could say it any better in Scripture has in Acts 6, is go find seven men mm -hmm. that are full of the Spirit, mm -hmm. that can take care of you. And in reality, it's seven men that have been taking care of you in light of asking, talking to our pastors and deacons that are out there 
look for the men that are already doing it. Right. That probably humbly say, no, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable being here in the background. Mm-hmm. But those are the ones you may want to push to say, you have something. You have a gift. There's something about you that says you need to be. Or you're being called and you just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Affirm mm-hmm. that calling in them. I sometimes have found, uh, and I worked in formation in Colorado for quite a while <laughs> as well, that it is the people who aren't seeking the call, aren't seeking the right. office of deacon that might even be pushing it away that can be those that are the best deacons, the humble, obedient men of courage that you talk about. For my own story, the question, even even right on at the time of my canonical retreat, it's like, Lord, why me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you know, I don't get it. I was doing good without this. Yeah. After 17 <laughs> years of ordination, I still say, why me a lot? Um, you know, there's such a challenge because there are good men that are serving the church and they've been doing it forever. And the pastor says, well, he's always here. So obviously he must be a good candidate. Maybe not so. I don't know. You know, when you look at the qualities that you're looking for, and especially because we are living a dual vocation. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be a solid family backing there's got to be that heart that they are humbly out there just doing their thing out in the community, not just in the church. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for somebody in the church, that's what lay ecclesial ministers are for. They're, right. they're leaders within the church that take over leading the ministries within the church. Mm-hmm. Deacons, and hopefully we're looking younger mm-hmm. because when you really look at the charism for the permanent diaconate, it is to be in the world living that light of Christ, living it in the workspace, living it in their family life, living it in their community service. That's the key. Mm -hmm. The gospel needs to be in the real world, not this protective walls of our church. And I think that uh, speaks to something that, that we often encounter, is that some men look at the diaconate as a retirement job. You know, I finished my work in the world, and now I need to fill up my time because my wife doesn't want me at home all the time anymore. Uh, and, I, and I'm and i active in the church, so maybe I should be a deacon. And, and that's not it. It's not the thing you do after the thing you've done. It is who you are, not just another job to take I, on. I think what happened in my heart when I was doing the information sessions, we call them information sessions previously, but in these discernment sessions that I have a man stand up and say, well, I've, I've had this nagging for about 10 years and I was just too busy. Now mm-hmm. I feel it's my time. Mm-hmm. But this, this has nothing to do with my anything. That's right. Unfortunately, and this is the sorrow of my heart, they missed an opportunity. Mm-hmm. If God truly was calling them back then, we've got to respond. Yeah, where was the... Here I am, Lord, when yeah. you heard the call the third time. The, the other thing that you mentioned and, you know, you said where some priests or pastors may look at a guy who's at the church all the time and he'd be a good deacon because he's here all the time. I remember something that uh, Pope Francis said in the book about deacons uh, where they quoted him heavily. And he said that when he was archbishop down in Argentina and he said pe- priests would come to him and say, hey, I've got this guy. He's done a lot of good things. He contributes a lot to the church. Yeah. He fulfills all these roles. We should make him a deacon. And the Pope's response was, why? He's already doing those things. It's not a Lifetime Achievement Award that we give to guys, you know, for for great service rendered. You got into this a moment ago, and I'd like you to explore just a little bit more. 
there are parameters involved. There are, you know, not everyone can be a deacon, even if right. your heart is called. And you talked a little bit about age. You talked a little bit about reference to marriage. Could you maybe hit on some of the key things that candidates or, or prospective candidates for the diaconate should look at to make sure that they, in fact, are canonically qualified to be a deacon? There's canonical and then there's our local norms Correct. for those that are listening outside of the Diocese of Orlando. Canonically, a married man cannot be ordained before the age of 35. Correct. Mm-hmm. Which means you cannot enter into formation. Ours is a six-year program. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for men 29 years of age or older. Mm-hmm. Now, the policy for the Diocese of Orlando is that we will not ordain after the age of 65 without a dispensation from the bishop. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it, so it, that's it, kind of the window. It's a 30-year window. Kind of window. So you're, you're entering at mm-hmm. 29 and you cannot enter if you have completed your 59th Ninth birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we need people that have been practicing Catholics for at least five years. Right. Uh, you know, there has to be some consistency to that. And we have a lot of guys in formation and deacons I know that were converts from other religious traditions. But we need that foundation in the right. Catholic Church as well. So we're too. looking at stability of life. Correct. You know, we we yeah. have to look at stability mm-hmm. of life. Do you have a good family life? Do you have a good foundation of your Catholic understanding mm-hmm. what it is to be Catholic? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that can be challenged. I mean, we've spent the last 50 years trying to figure out what a deacon is. Right. And mm-hmm. who he is mm-hmm. and how he responds and engages the world. You know, so that being in a sacramental marriage for five years and understanding what it is, because that's the... F- foundation, the groundwork, really, of mm-hmm. the second vocation of diaconate. We recently had our annual convocation of deacons, and one of the powerful moments in that is not only when we renew our vows to our bishop, right. but when our wives renew their commitment to support us. And you've referenced this several times during this podcast that the role of the wife of a deacon and through formation, the wife of a deacon aspirant or candidate is critical that this doesn't move forward without the consent and support of the wife. And it's always checking in with them. So, you know, we understand that some wives are going to go along and say, well, that's his calling. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It's your family calling Mm -hmm. because there is a sacrifice. Judy and I are very in tune to recognizing when she said yes, her yes was just like Mary's yes. Let it be done to us as God wills. Because she's going to have to say sometimes, I understand you can't be at our grandson's T-ball because you've mm-hmm. got a commitment for the church. Right. And sometimes she, our wives hold us accountable to not overcommit as well, too. Yep. And she so. puts us, put on that deacon <laughs> hat and get out the door and go do what you have to do. Right. Exactly. Well, because I can read minds and predict the future, uh, I can't. I tell my congregations that all the time. But I, I know there, there are those who are listening to this podcast that are eager to understand how to move forward if they feel they may have a call. So could you quickly just outline the process for this discernment and application phase? What are some of the major steps that that take place moving forward if someone thinks they have a call to the diaconate? So right now the rhythm for the Diocese of Orlando is every other year we're going to start for lack of a better word, recruitment mm-hmm. or a discernment. Discernment period. Of, I, like, I like that better. Yeah, yeah, the discernment period. So November, we schedule an opportunity to go out to each deanery for men that feel they may be receiving the calling or having a call to come pray with us. Mm-hmm. Let's let's take some intentional God time right. before the Blessed Sacrament and listen for God. Mm-hmm. 
through some reflections, scriptural reflections, and then we'll share some of the some of the details that we've shared on this podcast, that there are requirements, that there are canonical things that have to be in place for us to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then there's an application, and it is a detailed application. It is a very detailed application. <laughs> I've been reviewing I mean, it the, lately. The whole too. idea yeah. is to, to, to be able to tell your story mm-hmm. on paper. Mm-hmm. It's not about the other person trying to convince us that you are it's being able to lay out your life you and your wife in paper to say this is this is where i am Mm -hmm. this is where i serve this is my basic understanding of what it is and that i am agreeing to all that it entails to be a deacon which can be very complicated Mm -hmm. especially for the younger men when you're you're taking that vow of celibacy Right, and and that's one you know we won't go into great detail on this podcast on that, but but we do right that if we are married, then we are to honor the vows of our marriage. But if you're not married, or if your wife precedes you in death, then right. you are taking the same vow of celibacy that our priests do. Yes, and that's a great teaser for another episode. <laughs> um, and the other thing I I love about our application is that wives of married applicants have sections to fill out as well too. So that yes. really attests to their assent to this application. Agreed. And and they're really they're they're saying I agree one hundred percent. If we're going to do this, I'm in. Not partially. Not my toe wet. I'm not in it just because of my husband. But I understand the commitment that. Yeah. We are making as a family. We have put together, a, I think, a very knowledgeable group of individual deacons and deacon wives that review these applications. There's an interview that goes along with it for those that are accepted to the interview phase. And then there's a battery of assessments that we're trying to understand how is your relationship with each other primarily and your relationship with God. And if you make it through all of that, what you're signing up for, of course, is a six-year formation process with a year of formal discernment, five years of formation. You know, of course, along the journey, some men may determine this isn't for me. This isn't God's calling or life circumstances prevent me from moving forward. That's and part that's of the beauty of it. That, mm-hmm. that is discernment. Mm-hmm. It's the discernment of two goods. Right. God may be calling you down another path, and this walk may lead you down to understand that walk better. Mm-hmm. And then again, he may be calling you and saying, yes, I want you. It sounds like an old Army commercial there. Uncle Sam wants I, you. I was just thinking that, and it slipped. <laughs> I don't want to say Army because— <laughs> I know. The Navy, the Navy boy It's more than a job. It's an adventure. There you go. There we go. Does there that sound go. better? See, we got our producer, <laughs> Catherine, to laugh on that one. So, well, Deacon Joe, once again, you provided us with a great recipe for success as we've discussed this discernment process for men interested in the diaconate. And as we mentioned during the podcast, there will be six discernment nights uh, during the month of November, the first three weeks of the month on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'll, I'll run down these quickly, but you can also find them on the Diocese of Orlando website. Look under the Deacons tab in the discernment page. And you'll have a link to those. But on November 5th, we'll be at St. Timothy's Catholic Church in Lady Lake. On the 7th of November, St. John the Evangelist in Vieira. The 12th, Holy Cross in Orlando. The 14th, Church of the Resurrection in Lakeland. November 19th, we'll be at Annunciation Catholic Church in Altamont Springs. And finally, on the 21st of November, Our Lady of Hope in Port Orange. And all discernment evenings will run from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., And as I said, these dates and places can be found on the Diocese of Orlando website, or you can simply rewind this podcast and listen to it again and find your favorite one. So where do we go next? 
What will be our special du jour when we meet again? Well, let's keep this progressive dinner going by exploring the next step on the diaconal journey for those who are invited into formal discernment when our offering will be Forming the Deacon, the Six-Year Journey and Beyond. Well, sadly, we've reached closing time of the Deacon's Den, but I'm glad you all dropped by. Come back on in when you're hungry for a hearty discussion on the diaconate and Catholic conversation. And until we meet again, I pray you walk closely with God on life's journey. And when you feel the urge to visit the Deacon's Den, remember, there's always a corner booth reserved just for you.